Welcome to everybody from around the world to the Enneagram Global Summit 2021. At the core of the Enneagram is a map, a guidance, an inspiration even to remember what matters most to all of us and to understand ways that from our own fear-based perspective, we've lost sight of or we're not quite getting directly to the real thing. Because in a sense, we've created a false controller of the world rather than the creative life force itself or authentic self, if you wish to call it, or some people would call it God or the divine. As the Enneagram seems to arise, primarily anyway, out of Western traditions, it's just so easy to see how that central aim of the Enneagram to help us awaken to our, our true authentic self that is more multidimensional than our fear would have us be, to awaken to what many people would call their spiritual development overlaps and intersects with the core teachings of the three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And it is my honor and really just incredible joy to initiate a conversation, the first ever as far as we know of an interfaith conversation that includes the Enneagram. And I'm so happy to welcome our three faculty members for this session. The first is Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi. And Dr. Baruch, also known as Rabbi B, and he's also said that I can just call him B, is a logotherapist, Enneagram coach, Kabbalah teacher, inspirational author, motivational speaker, and co-founder and executive director of Soul Centered which is a Denver, Colorado-based center for spirituality, meaning, and healing. Welcome, Baruch. We also are welcoming the Reverend Dr. Shelley Best. Shelley is an urban soulpreneur. As a visual artist, equity warrior, yogini, and intentional community builder, she is nationally recognized as a creative peacemaker through her creation of the 224 Ecospace, a 30,000 square foot venue where change makers work, create, and lead. Shelley is an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, and she earned her Master of Divinity from Yale University, and her doctorate in ministry focused on faith-based community development from Hartford Seminary. I'm so glad that you're with us, Shelley. We also have joining us Dr. El Sherbini, Khaled El Sherbini. He is a dedicated spiritual seeker and awakening teacher who uses the Enneagram, integral consciousness model, mindfulness practices, psychology, philosophy, and spirituality to raise consciousness in his community and the world. He's based in Cairo, Egypt and founded Enneagram Egypt as a hub for spiritual awakening and consciousness development. 
and teaches a year-long Enneagram program called Awaken Through the Enneagram that takes seekers from being aware of their outer layer of personality and ego traps all the way into their psychological depths, spiritual realizations, thus helping them to awaken their full potential. And welcome, Khaled. Thank you, Jessica. Honored to be here. So this is both a really fascinating and inspiring topic, and it really gets to the core of what, what matters to us most. And I think it would be lovely for people to hear from each of you how you came across the Enneagram and why you recognized it as such a powerful tool for personal and spiritual growth in yourself and also working with others in your faith. And Baruch, I'm, I would be honored if you would begin. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. I've been a part of a lot of different interfaith panels, and this is definitely a first. So hopefully it's not a last. It's an important conversation, um, and I'm honored and privileged to be a part of it. My journey began roughly when I was 15 years old. That was when I kind of woke up to my life, to looking for something more. I was born Jewish, but didn't speak to me spiritually. I think that's true with a lot of people of their birth uh, religion, certainly in Judaism. And I walked away, I explored lots of other isms, Buddhism and Hinduism, hedonism, that was, that was a fun one, um, all kinds of isms. And finally found my way to Kabbalah, um, Jewish mysticism. And it was through Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, I moved to Israel, not far from Khaled, up in the north of Israel, and um, started studying this thing called the Tree of Life, Eitz Chaim. And if you've ever seen the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, it sort of looks like a DNA strand, but it's got circles on it, um, sort of like an Enneagram explosion. And compelled by it because I was looking for a synthesis between mind, body, and spirit or heart. And what I found in it was all of those things. I didn't have to choose one or the other. I wanted, again, a sophisticated spirituality. And so as I'm studying and really learning the, the sphere of the, en the emanations of the divine and these energies, I came across the book um, while I was in Israel a little later on by a rabbi of mine. His name is Father Richard Rohr. Right, Father Richard Rohr, which everybody knows who he is, certainly in the Enneagram world. Uh, a remarkable book, even more importantly, a remarkable man. I fell in love with the book. I fell in love with the man. I thought, you know what? I want to be to Judaism what he is to Catholicism, which I would say is probably, uh, Father Rohr, correct me if I'm wrong, a pain in the tuchus, right? Challenging the status quo, challenging the assumptions, bringing a, a complexity and a sophistication. And so I read this and I resonate with Catholic mysticism, I resonate with the Enneagram, and I start to see there is a clear synthesis here. And what I also have come to learn in my journey is that religions get along down here, sort of where the average person in the pew is, people who don't really participate or care too much kind of assimilate, we all just get along. And up here, the mystics, the mystical tradition, Sufism, Christian mysticism, Kabbalah, they're saying the same thing. It's kind of in the middle that we get into a lot of bickering and trouble. And what I found up here was this beautiful universal truth of the Enneagram, of Kabbalah, and both of which are pointing out a roadmap of how do you live in a complex world as body, mind, spirit, right? What is 
Um, what are the ingredients on this path and how do I make sense of it on a, in a day-to-day uh, real way? And so what I started to find in the Enneagram was frankly a more developed version of the tree of life. The tree of life, the Eitzchayim, never really made it to where the Enneagram is, which is kind of a fleshed out roadmap. And so what I found, the energy and the spirit of Kabbalah, I found in the practicality and the application of the Enneagram. And I started studying and finding that it was just in resonance with my traditions, values, and my spiritual needs and my modern sensibilities. And that's ultimately where I started to really use the Enneagram in my life. Um, And just lastly, um, I I started working with Jewish people utilizing it because for a long time I was a congregational rabbi. And it spoke to them because it was coming out of other spiritual mystical traditions, but very neutral language and, and safe space. And so it really resonated. And then what I found after I left being a congregational rabbi is I brought it to non-Jewish participants and the same thing. And it led me to believe that this Enneagram is really a pathway to peace. It helps us find peace on our personal paths. It can help us find peace in our on our universal path. And I think this conversation right here is just uh, another reminder of the power of the Enneagram. Lovely to share it that way, Baruch. And I, I am really appreciating that you brought up that you were looking and seeking for a sophisticated spirituality. And I think that uh, overlay of the Enneagram could be brought into many things that are actually very useful in the consciousness movement or human potential movement, but maybe haven't reached their full sophistication in a sense. And I think those people who, who really want the nuances of spiritual life are hungry for that sophistication. So I'm appreciating that point very much. Shelly, let's go to you. How about you? Thank you once again for having me here today. It's really a blessing. For me with the Enneagram, it was a part of my seminary journey where I was looking for ways to uncover who I am, where I am coming from, and how God might use me in my life. And so the Enneagram was one of the tools that I discovered at that time. And it ended up being something that I've incorporated in my ministry and my practice with people one-on-one. It's been a wonderful way to get to things that might not come out in conversation. And so the Enneagram is a great way for people to have a comprehensive experience of tapping into identity, and spirituality and helping them have a focus with where they are going in their life. And so that's how I came to discover the Enneagram. Um, It's a bit radical in my context uh, for African-American people, just the symbol alone is something very uncomfortable for a lot of African-American Christians because it looks like a satanic star. And so that ends up being something that has to be explained. Um, but I have found that once people get comfortable with the Enneagram, it ends up being a powerful gift for them. And so that has been my experience. And most recently, I used the Enneagram as a tool for a program I was serving with people that were involved in reentry, coming out of prison and trying to figure out how to gain employment and what their purpose should be. Because very often, if you don't have a college degree or have 
developed a career, you just end up in jobs. And so when people come out of prison, there are staff just to get them jobs, but it may not be the job of their heart. So the Enneagram was a great tool for people doing reentry to kind of get a sense of who am I? What do I love? And what might I pursue instead of just accepting whatever people give me? So the Enneagram has been a great way to work with a variety of people. And I'm grateful for what it's done for me in particular. Wow, thank you, Shelley. You know, um, I actually knew someone else told me about the space you created, uh, the 224 Eco Space, uh, several years ago. And I thought it sounded so fascinating. This was before I knew you. And um, just a little off this particular question, though, but have you found that, you know, just the incredible intersectionality of both types of people and disciplines that come into that space? Have you found that the Enneagram has really helped you be able to hold that space in a certain way that invites all of that in? Well, one of the key aspects of the 224 ecospace is we say it's a place where change makers work, create, and lead. And so people walk in the door with a desire to manifest something in their life usually. Because of the space, it's very much an art space. So we have dance studios, yoga studios, um, massage therapy rooms and, and the like. Oftentimes entrepreneurs are trying to figure out what should be my path. And so the Enneagram is an easy way to have a one-on-one -on -one with someone and give them a quality experience. And so it's a great way for people that are thinking about what they wanna do next. And so we use it in that way at the 224 Ego Space. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Khaled. How about you? How did you find the Enneagram and recognize its power in terms of your faith? Wow, well, talking after uh, Rabbi B and uh, Reverend Shelley, it's uh, everything they both said just resonates directly to the heart. Uh, I almost would have said word by word what uh, Rabbi B said, for example, was, always, was resonating very much, always a spiritual seeker, uh, grew up as a Muslim, and I always knew that there's something calling. There was always something to look for, something, but I could never find it. And that took me on so many paths. I did not go into the very extreme paths that maybe Rabbi B talked about. They were all like uh, certain either scientific or knowledge or even within the religion, scientific and knowledgeable, but none of them satisfied the heart. There was something, even the word heart that's used all the time. And the Quran always talks about the heart and purifying the heart and finding the sound heart. But what is the heart? No one even describes to you what the heart is and how to reach it and what to do about it. And especially coming from a mental type, a very mental type and a scientist and a PhD in engineering, it was always very mechanistic. But I reached a point where I really like pushed everything aside and dedicated myself to finding whatever that thing that is missing. And it's during that search where I came along many things. I came along the transpersonal psychology. I came along uh, all kinds of energy work. All that was nice. But the first day I saw the Enneagram, someone was just talking about it casually. I was like, what is that? I went even up to the gentleman. I told him, I think this is a very powerful tool. I, I literally said that to him. I think this is a very powerful tool. And I think you know nothing about it. I have to discover this. I don't know what happened. It's just like something. He was a good friend. So we took it like a joke. He was laughing. And I really did start putting my 
my, my core into it, my heart into it, and digging deeper and digging deeper and finding a tool that talks to humans, to humanity, to love, to creation, to God, not to a specific rigid organizational shape of a religion that has been put in layers by some people according to their level of consciousness. And uh, as I think it was Rabbi B that said, and it's a very neutral tool. You can actually load it with whatever you want to load it. And the first thing that came to me is that it's as if the Enneagram is showing us our differences and our similarities. In this circle, we see our differences and at the center, we see the core of the light. And that core just sucked me in. I started giving it my time, my effort. I pushed away all my old careers. And I was just purely a seeker for like a year and a half, not knowing what I'm doing. It's just like something is calling me. When my friends who thought I went crazy, tell me, what are you doing? I tell them I'm following a call. There's a call here. And once you put your heart into something, by the way, anything, regardless what it is, it starts talking to you. And the first thing it talked to me, it started giving me signs of things I had heard from our elder wise Sufi teachers and saints and readings, the very rare jewels that you pass by that no one understood. It's as if these wisdoms started clicking up. And it's really ironic or paradoxical, I don't know what the right word is, that I would understand the spiritual wisdom through such a tool that is not a religious tool more, but it is a spiritual tool, of course, but it's like, again, a neutral tool. And that also helped me later when I started talking to others. I realized that although all religions start with a profound spiritual experience by their founder, every religion and every wisdom tradition, but over the years, the people around it lose sense of touch to that spiritual experience and to hold on to whatever they think is true in that source, they create an organization. But due to the universal wisdom, due to God's wisdom, there is always this small group that is always connected to this channel of light. The Sufis in Islam, the uh, mystical Christianity and contemplative Christianity, the Kabbalistic Judaism, and by the way, in all the other wisdom traditions. And it's from this that I started to drink and finally comprehend, understand, not just read what the Sufi saints have been saying for hundreds of years. It's like it suddenly came to light through the Enneagram. And more and more and more, I read the Quran, I read the interpretations, I read the Sufi literature, and I actually interpret it through the lens of the Quran, which is again, it's like, which can cause so many problems with, with followers around the world. And I, I know it's in all the religions, how it's considered sometimes a satanic tool. But when you talk to people, not through religion, just through Enneagram, through similarity and differences, through connection, they start to discover their religions and the true meaning in it through the Enneagram, even without you having to put any effort. So that's very briefly my journey with the Enneagram until now and still going on. Thank you so much, Khaled. You're really surfacing a deep truth, which um, 
Rabbi B also talked about is the universality of how the Enneagram can free people from the out external structure of their spirituality to a lived spirituality that is both unique to each person, but also completely unified and connected at the core. And so, you know, I wonder if each of you might share how the any you've begun, but to share a little more in depth how the Enneagram and the central core teachings of your particular faith intersect. And why don't we start with you, Shelley? I thought that was a great question. Um, interestingly enough, as I reflected on the question, you know, how does the Enneagram fit in with the spiritual teachings and I'll say of Jesus Christ? And so what's lovely for me, as I really took the time to look at the various aspects of the Enneagram, and I thought about the types, what's beautiful to me is Jesus is universal. And in many ways, you can see Jesus through each of the lenses of the Enneagram. And there are set examples within the texts of the Bible that are stories of Jesus being each one of these characters. And so we know that Jesus was the reformer. Um, people of Christian faith will talk about the uh, story in the Bible where Jesus went in and cleaned out the temple. So he turned the tables over. He clearly was a reformer. He's saying, we're not going to turn this sacred space into a den of thieves location. And so we know that that's Jesus. Then we know that Jesus is also a helper. Without a doubt, this faith is about Jesus walking with us. I want Jesus to walk with me is an old spiritual in the African-American tradition. So Jesus, without a doubt, is one that helps those who are in need of help and is there for them. The achiever, Jesus calls us to reach new heights by faith. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's one of those scripture that we lift up. And so we know that Jesus will help us get there. And so as we go down the path of each one of the types, the nine, the peacemaker, of course, Jesus was a peacemaker, one that helps us see how to deal with the struggles of life that might appear. I am particularly interested in the challenger because that's my personality type. And all my friends are like, of course, you're the challenger. So without a doubt, Jesus challenges your ideas about who you are and what you're supposed to do and challenges your ideas of your identity. The enthusiast, that's definitely Jesus with so many different things that Jesus was engaged in. Jesus could heal. Jesus could teach. Jesus could feed people. Jesus could do all kinds of um, activities as an enthusiast, all kinds of interests. So Jesus shows us that point of view. Jesus as the investigator, the five, when we look at Jesus, there were some set things. Jesus truly understood the law and he came out of Jewish context, understanding the law, understanding the faith, understanding what the Sadducees and the Pharisees thought the religion was supposed to be. So he had a deep understanding of that. And then, of course, we know he turned that upside down on its head. Jesus definitely was productive, definitely an achiever. And so on we go. I think I covered just about every one of them. And so when we look at our experience with Jesus Christ, we start to recognize the Enneagram as a pathway to the various aspects 
of the identity that each one of us can take a look at for ourselves. And so when we look at Jesus and we look at our journey, there is a benefit for each of us to not only know our type, but to appreciate and understand the various types and see how it can be applied to our life and our relationships. Because so very often, you know, we understand our type but we have to grow in our appreciation of the other types. And by faith, we see that the ability to love all kinds of people. And in the Enneagram, it gives us that opportunity to love people that might be far away from who we are and love people that might be close to who we are. Wonderful, Shelley. I, I love that you um, also are not separating. And I think the Enneagram very much points to this, not separating Christ from ourselves. You know, that, that it's really like these are, these are the nine qualities that Christ it tells us we can experience, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for that. How about you, Khaled? Well, the first thing I saw in the Enneagram when, I, when the types were described in front of me, I could see a manifestation of what the Islam calls and the Sufis call the names of Allah. There was all these magnificent, beautiful names of Allah that are metaphorically mentioned as 99. And again, it's discovering the Enneagram and discovering the meaning of the number nine, the wholeness, that 99 becomes the wholeness of wholeness, which woke my eye up into looking and discovering that in the Quran alone, there are over 230 names. And when you count in the traditions, you find much more. So 99 clicked as the wholeness of wholeness and how these names directly are reflected through the nine types. And it woke up what Ibn Arabi, the great Sufi saint used to say that we are the shadows of God on earth. We are the channels of God on earth, but none of us is capable of being the channel of the entirety of being, the ground of being, the. So every one of us is like a channel of a, of a ray of light being the ground of being, God, Allah, being the complete light. And each one of us just comes with a glimpse of that light, representing some of these names. And maybe in a bit of a different way, again, due to the different background, I saw the prophets, since we talk about the prophets all in, with great reverence, we revere them all very highly. I saw in all the prophets, the nine different types, very, very clear. It's as if God, through sending these guides, these lights to guide us, he's even showing us the perfect shape, the perfect human, and how even the perfect human can come from nine different types. You find the power and the challenge in Moses. You find the loyal supporter in Aaron. You find the peacemaker with the religion of peace in Muhammad. You find the very... Uh, the one that always wants the integrity in Jonah, you find the lover and the helper and the support and, and the one that takes care of everyone in Jesus, you find the achiever in Solomon, at least from the stories as we have them in the Quran, you find the, the one full of heart and full of specialness and uniqueness in, uh, in Jacob. You find the thinker that's always challenging through the mind, the intellectual in Abraham. And, and you find all these different characteristics, but in their highest form, in these magnificent prophets told in the stories, as if this is the wholeness from so many lights. 
and how each one of us holds the light of the divine within manifesting the names of Allah. And it's there that I understood so much again of all of this and I started putting things together. So the Sufis talk about different realms of being, a realm of illusion, a realm of potentiality, a realm of essence. And then you realize this is the different levels of development that the Enneagram world is talking about and beyond. So the prophets were definitely not in the holy ideas and virtues. This is somewhere in between. This is not liberation. There's something beyond that. And then the essential qualities. These are the archetypes. There's something beyond that. And then the names of Allah. Well, even the names of Allah, this is the multiplicity side of oneness. There is something beyond that. And I started realizing a map of the Sufi path to awakening, let's say, in modern terminology, in terminology that everyone today can understand. I even started giving names to steps of the heart opening up to the truth until what the Sufis call annihilation. And that annihilation, contrary to what people used to think, means that you lose all sense of ego. No. It's actually where you channel pure light of divinity through your capacity given to you by your type. And this is what touched me into awakening the Sufi literature and understanding it and presenting it in a very, very new way through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm transported. Um, Khaled, I'm remembering this Sufi poem that's been with me for you know, several decades uh, that the last two lines are just gone beyond, gone beyond, beyond. And it just, you know, that has like resonated in me exactly what you're pointing to. And I think that um, the Enneagram is actually, it, it's a map, but it's a map into a mapless territory. You know, it's a map into a highly, an un, the unnameable, you know, the ineffable territory. Ineffable. Yeah. Thank you so much. And how about you, Baroque? How do you see the Enneagram resonant with the core teachings of Judaism? No, Khaled spoke so beautifully. I almost feel like I should just defer the rest of my time and uh, move on. But I'll, I'll try to add something uh, in addition to the beautiful um, universal sentiments that Khaled um, and Reverend Shelley have shared. So if I imagine you have some Jewish people watching this, and I imagine if I did a pop quiz right now and said, recite a prayer by heart, they would all freeze. They look like deers in the headlight. And because, um, you know, Jews don't do prayer so well, they wouldn't know, but they might know one prayer. And it would be Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord our God is one. And that is because if you boil it down, that's what Judaism comes down to, as does all monotheistic religions, right? Truth and advertising, mono, one, theism, God. So starting there, but the Kabbalists say we have a problem. If God is one, and, and originally God was all, the, the Kabbalists call God in uh, or in Sof, infinite light. And if it was all light, all the time, all one, how do we have the morning newspaper? How do we have so much strife and division and destruction and despair? And the Kabbalists teach that out of an act of love, God withdrew herself to make a space, sort of like a mother backing out and allowing a child to be on a playground. And 
in that space, children fall down and they get skin knees and they do bad things and have bad things done to them. And that's the world of division, the world that we live in. But the divine didn't leave us abandoned without a roadmap. There's sparks, according to the Kabbalists, Nitzutzot, sparks within the darkness, within the playground of life. And our job, simply put, is to become spark seekers. I wrote a book called Spark Seekers. I love this idea to go into the darkness and find those sparks of life. And that fulfills our mission as Jews and human beings to become what they call B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God, as it says in Genesis, right? We are in the image of God, but we are in the, the Kabbalists, we read that and say we're in the um, God's in the shadows. That can be read, read as God is found in the shadows. When we go into the shadows, into the darkness and find those sparks, we become participants in creation, restoring or repairing, according to Kabbalah, tikkun, tikkun olam, repairing the world through spark seeking. How does that relate to the Enneagram? Because I see the work of the Enneagram is to look at our shadows, right? Not out in the world. It's just too easy to start saying the brokenness is out there. We have to redirect it and say the brokenness is in here. Too many Jews I know go do tikkun olam, fixing the world while their house is falling apart. Fix your house, build your roof, make sure the foundation is on, and then move out and help others. So we fix ourselves or repair ourselves or heal ourselves by going into the shadows of our Enneagram type and finding those sparks, elevating the process, right? We talk about in, in Enneagram levels of integration, right? And so in Kabbalah, there's three levels of integration. There's the tzaddik, the righteous person. There's the benoni, the average Joe or Jane. And then there's the Russia, the wicked person. But the Kabbalists say those are people out there. Once again, they're people in here. And within me, I have all three capacities. And within my Enneagram type, I have an unelevated version of me. I have a, you know, dialing it in just kind of day-to-day version. And I have an elevated version. And my work, your work, our work is to go into those shadows, find those sparks, ascend up and out of our Enneagram type. If you look at the tree of life, there are 10 spheres, circles, divine energies. If you look at the Enneagram, there are actually 10 energies. There's nine, of course, and then there's a circle. The circle is the 10th. And our work is to take all nine of those in ourselves, develop them, elevate them, and return them to the one. And that's the journey of the Enneagram. That's the journey of life. Baroque, this, the idea of the sparks is so like tantalizing and scintillating. And would you also perhaps say that um, we've also lost touch each of us with the eight other sparks and, and then in a way doing the Enneagram journey is like gathering the wholeness of that circle of all nine sparks. That is the work to um, get out of our comfort zone, our routines, our assumptions, right? And I am an Enneagram eight, right? Myself as well, Reverend. Um, so when I start saying that, I need to do the work of my two and go down and be a little more thoughtful. You know, not ready. It's not always ready, aim, or ready, fire, aim. Sometimes you got to say ready, aim, fire. So I got to go be more thoughtful like a five, like my friend probably Khaled is. Yes. Thank you so much. And so speaking of Khaled, who can answer that question if he wants, um, I think in our, why don't each of you just take a few final minutes for a conversation that clearly 
would want to go on for many hours. Um, to say a little bit more about in within your, the, your faith, um, you know, each of you is like doing ministering or teaching within your faith. And so what have you found about the nine energies or the nine types and working with people in your circle, in your ministry, in terms of their spiritual development? Let's start with you, Colette. Okay, so yes, I am type five. Uh, that, that is true. So as I said, my journey was from a very intellectual journey. And even in religion, it was an intellectual religion. I didn't find a guide until the Enneagram cracked my heart open. And for a five to have their heart cracked open, that is not an easy thing. It, it just flew. It's, it's, it's like it was filled with light. And as I said in the last part, I was trying to understand what is the heart. No one is telling us what is the heart, especially the Quran says very clearly, except those who come to Allah with a sound heart. These are the only successful people. This is the path to have a sound, clean, purified heart, cleaned out of any darkness. So what do you do there? And the Sufis are known to be called the masters of the heart. So it's through understanding the hearts, as maybe I said in a previous session, Jessica, that the heart is, is just, there's always the divine, then the manifestation of the divine, what Ibn Arabi calls the theory of shadows. And then the shadow of the shadow of the heart, and then the shadow of the shadow of the shadow of the heart, and through this, I built upon the Sufi literature, what I call the stages of the heart. And the stages of the heart was how our heart goes from this complete separation, complete pathological separation. And ironically, that is the stage where we believe we know everything. We are the only ones that are right. Our path is the truth. So maybe, Jessica, if you layered them, I layered them a bit different. I say it's actually in this pathological space that we're so separate, that we're not just against the other faiths and the religions. We're even against the people in our faith and in our religion. Because it's as if it's only my heart that has the truth. And in that place, you actually think you're a saint. God is only talking to me. He's not talking to anyone else. That's complete separation. And from there, that's even lower than what the Enneagram calls the fixations and the passions. I call that the unavailable heart. And then moving from there into the space of passions and fixations, which I call the striving heart. And from there to fluctuating between ignorance and awakening. This is the, this is the place of what I call the student, the seeker, the one that goes around picking from every place but still hasn't found it. And that is the empowered heart. And then we move to the space that the Enneagram calls the holy ideas and the virtues. And this is the serene illuminated heart. Interestingly, what I found in my research is that you can reach that level while you're still disconnected from essence. This is a level where you're so balanced that you now start to gain wisdom. But that wisdom is lacking the divine light, what I call the divine effusion, 
where this light comes down and reflects in, and you now turn from looking at the shadow of God, which is the creation, to God, to the source, to the one, to the light. It's like a moving, and the divine comes to you, and now you have a serene, you have a content heart. You know that everything is beautiful as it is. And that opens the door to annihilation in the one. And that is the gratified, synchronized heart. This is what the Sufi saying says, I become, God is saying, I become your legs that you walk with, your hands that you act with, your eyes that you see with, your tongue that you speak with. This is annihilation, but that's not the end. And then you lose the sense of annihilation. You're the verse, the beautiful verse that you said, Jessica, this is the Sufi calls the annihilation of annihilation, the cessation of cessation. And that is pure non-duality. And interestingly, you find something that no teacher touches. It's the Enneagram that shows, us, shows it to us. That even in that cessation of cessation, you maintain an individuality. But it's not an ego individuality. It's a sense of divine individuality. This is where the saints like Al-Halaj would go out and say, I am the one, I am the divine. And they actually killed him for saying it because they didn't understand where he's coming from. He said, there is nothing inside this except the one, except God. And this is the cessation of cessation. There's nothing left of me. And that I call the realized heart. So it's these stages of the heart that I actually found through studying the different manifestations of the Enneagram types. And then I started mapping the nine Enneagram types on this seven heart, seven stages of heart. So I now have a huge map of what each type at each heart looks like. This is what I present to the people with me, again, in a neutral universal way. That's I have people from all the denominations, from all paths, because this is a neutral heart, that's this, a neutral map that describes the heart. Yes, it's coming mostly from a Sufi perspective, so there's lots of Quran and there's lots of Hadith, but there's lots of wisdom from the Kabbalah, from mystical and contemplative Christianity, from modern psychology. Modern psychology has discovered so much. I mean, it's just still missing a little bit and it can be a modern religion not the new age religions, no, a modern spiritual path because it's discovered so much about the human psyche that was lost for a long time. It's not more than what the Indians discovered, by the way, 3000 years ago. It's, it's a human heritage. It's just, we need to revive it all the time in new language, in new terminology, something that our kids can relate to. Our kids no longer relate to religions. They don't understand religion anymore. It, we're talking in a language that is way beyond what they want. So this is what we can present to them, a modern understanding through this lovely lens of the Enneagram. So moving and brilliant how you've been able to use the, the, the different teachings of the Enneagram to illuminate you know, this very um, searing and complex and exhilarating journey to to divine individuation. Thank you. How about you, Baruch? How, how, how have you used the Enneagram specifically in working with your congregation, the people in your congregation? 
Um, I'm an Enneagram 8, as I mentioned before, so I guess I, I'm going to be a, a little provocative. Uh, on my good days, I'm provocative. On my bad days, my wife calls me an 8-hole. So hopefully I'll be the, the upside, not the downside of this. Um, so she's an Enneagram 4 and a 4 drama. I say, for me, for me, for me. So we have this whole thing. I would start with, there is no God. There is no God. G-O-D does not exist. If you can show me where he or she exists in the Hebrew Bible, the original uh, text is G-O-D, then I'll give you a million dollars because you can't find it. It doesn't exist. There's no name of God. There are names of God. According to Kabbalah, there are 72 names of God. It's a way of saying that there are infinite names of God. What does that mean? It means there are different manifestations of God. Moses is standing in front of God and you know, says kind of a strange thing. What's your name? What is God supposed to say? Like, Bob, what, what do you want from me? If I, if, I, if, I, if I make myself finite, I'm not infinite. It's this impossible puzzle. So God, of course, comes up with the only response that God could share. I, I will be that I will be. I am unfolding. I am evolving. I am a verb. You can't name me. You can't make me static. You can't put me in a box. And the moment you do, it's not me. And that's idolatry. You know, idolatry is not bowing down to stupid totem poles. Idolatry is taking something dynamic and making it static, taking somebody's being and putting them in a box, putting a label on them, making them stuck. And that's the truth also with the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a dynamic living manifestation of the divine. There are these pathways, these energies, but I hear it over and over again in religious language and in the Enneagram world, I hear it, I am, and I even, I'm guilty of it. I just said, I am an Enneagram eight. It's who I am. I have just taken my my spirit, my, my essence, my dynamic self, and stuck myself in a box. And that is idolatry. To say that that's who I am, that's a means. It is not an end. And that's how we need to approach the divine, right? It, all of this, all of our religions, all of our rituals are means, not an end. When we start mistaking the means for an end, we're stuck and we've left the path. And in the Enneagram world, when I start saying this is who I am, I am leaving the path of true Enneagram. So I'm a student of Dr. Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, Holocaust Survivor. I'm a logotherapist. He founded logotherapy. And at the center of his world was the Nazis reduced him to a number. On his arm, he wore a burned number or tattoo. It said 119104 because to them, he was a number to be exterminated. And Dr. Frankel, along with Anne Frank and so many other men and women, defied their number. They defied the Holocaust. They defied the despair, the darkness. They didn't succumb because we're not here to be a number. We're here to defy our numbers. And I take that same sentiment and I bring it to the Enneagram. You are here to defy your eightness or your two-ness or whatever it is. Again, back to what I said before, to be all of them, to ascend through all of them on our journey back to the one, to live out our name, because each of us has a true name. It's a verb. It's unfolding. It's evolving. And I believe that the Enneagram is a pathway to take us there. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm almost in that wordless space, you know, because what we're talking about is the ineffable. You know, it is the, the luminosity that has no name. And every time one of you speaks, you're so, you know, you're, 
you're revealing the delusions that we shield, use to shield ourselves against the, the truth of that out of our fear. And you're also, you know, calling down um, the truth of it. And I, I just really want to thank you, Baruch, for speaking about God and the divine as a verb, as an emergent, generative, self-generative. You know, it's God is infinite. Why would God just be this? You know, that this is not possible if God is infinite. So thank you. And thank you for bringing the analogy to the Enneagram because we, the power of it needs, you know, we need the full potency of it to be working in our world today. And it's not about putting people in a box, it's about taking them out of the box they're in. So, Shelly, we'd love to hear about how you're applying the Enneagram to working with your ministry. Well, it, I am just awestruck from all that I have heard so far. I want to study with everyone here on the screen because this has been a very rich experience. I would lift up that the Enneagram has been a wonderful tool to work with people in my ministry with a 224, and I pastor a church as well, Redeemer's Church in Plainville, Connecticut. In both instances, the Enneagram has been a wonderful way to do the work of helping people overcome oppression. Because when you live in a society and you've experienced a lot of oppression and trauma, your idea of yourself is shifted. You don't know the greatness that exists within you. You don't know your possibility and your hope. All you know is the box that life has put you in by your trauma, by the oppression, by the racisms or other isms that might exist. Enneagram helps you get back to your pure gift of self as a way of starting to uncover the good that is within you and not the identity of the tragedy. And so I was very surprised in my work with people that were doing reentry that the Enneagram could work for the population. I was concerned because oftentimes reading levels make certain things out of touch or out of reach for people. The Enneagram was accessible for my population, and they appreciated the experience of having this kind of personality profile that many of us take for granted because we've done Myers-Briggs and all kinds of other things. But for this population of people, it was a tremendous gift because ordinarily you don't have exposure to it. And so the Enneagram is a way for me to add value in the experience of ministry with people. It helps them understand the pathway of transforming their own lives. And it's an opportunity, I think, when it comes to team building and working together as community to help us better understand the people we're working with. And I appreciate what Rabbi B said about, you don't wanna just make yourself completely identify with the thing. But I have to say, it's been very helpful as a guide because when you know who you are, you start to understand why certain people rub you a certain kind of way. You start to understand better who you need on the team because of who you are. And you start to appreciate even more the differences that might show up. And so instead of being irritated or frustrated because someone sees things in a different way than I do, or someone does things in a different way, it's more an appreciation. Like, 
oh, she's a helper. She's trying to help me. And I am being my eight-ish self, which is not thinking about having help. And so it's a way for you to look at your team, find a way to work together, affirm one another. Because one of the things I also try to do in my ministry, I want to always give hope and inspiration to the people I'm working with. And so when you better understand where they're coming from, what that identity might be, you also understand better how to compliment them, you know, to affirm that good that is within the person. And everyone needs that kind of encouragement. And so that is how I've used the Enneagram in my ministry. Thank you so much, Shelley. You've really brought in an element we hadn't talked about yet, which is the compassion that the Enneagram engenders in all of us for each other. And the ability also to like literally celebrate the, the various gifts that each type brings in a way of collaboration. And I think that actually is complementary to what uh, Rab Rabbi B was saying, because he's just saying not to keep people like stuck, to keep yourself or someone else stuck in an identity, but to be in a kind of lived process with the whole thing. Um, I am going to be, 500% honest with you that I wish that we could just have this conversation go on and on. I imagine that people around the globe are feeling the place where their deepest yearning for, for what really matters is, is being nourished by the three of you, your dedication, your wisdom. And I wanna say sort of amen, amen, amen. Um, may may we come back to what Rabbi B said at the beginning that this could be the beginning of a, a conversation and exploration and really even may I say a, a place of practice and worship collective practice and worship um, that might actually help us know the divine more fully than we can know it through our type any one type or any one faith Thank you so much, Jessica. This has been a remarkable session. Thank you, Reverend Shelley, and thank you, Rabbi B. And thank you, Jessica, for all the great work that you're doing and blessings to all of you and to all the hearts in the world. Thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege to uh, my Muslim brother, Salam, and to my Christian sister, Peace, and to Jessica. Really, truly, thank you for making this a possibility. And to all that have been gathered here today, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to share and to be together and to consider the gift that the Enneagram is as we go forward in a world that needs us now like never before. Thank you, Jessica. Mm. Well, amen to all of those words and blessings to everyone around the globe. Thank you for joining us.